Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hello everyone and welcome to Scattered. We're back from a short half-term break now with Genesis chapter 44. Joseph has been through some real low points after being sold into slavery by his brothers. But after interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, he's now the overseer of Egypt. During a big famine, his brothers have made two trips to Egypt for grain. Here they are in their second trip. They have been forced to bring their father's precious younger son. And last week, we saw um, them being lavished upon in Joseph's own home. So what happens next in chapter 44? There's a really helpful um, title for the passage, isn't it, that says Joseph tests his brothers. And I guess we see in this passage, Joseph really wants to understand if his brother's hearts have changed. And so he, as they're leaving and going back to their dad, he sends one of his servants to place his silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And so um, that happens. And then he sends his servants after them to accuse them of stealing the cup. And um, he's, I guess, they, he wants to know what they're going to do with that and how they're going to respond. And they all are shocked that it's in Benjamin's sack and come back together to face the consequences of this as a as one rather than abandoning Benjamin. Judah, especially in this chapter, really steps up and gives a speech explaining how much Benjamin's loved, how um, how hard it'll be for his dad if he can't come back and offering to stand in Benjamin's place. And then um, Joseph's emotional about this um, and we're sort of left wondering what the response is going to be. Yeah, so how, how does the first... Um, a few verses set the scene for what happens next well it's really important isn't it in the context of this chapter that we know that it's Joseph who does the stealing like if we didn't know that it was Joseph who set this up I think we would not be wrong in thinking that the brothers had done it it's really important that we realize that the brothers are completely innocent because then that is the whole context for the rest of what happened. Mm. The big picture of this chapter is kind of part three of have the brothers really changed? Do you think that's fair? Um, so we've got like, we've had the previous two chapters where we've seen signs of change, but I think it's going to reach like crunch time today. So yeah, it's really important that we know they haven't stolen anything um, because the bigger context is what they, the big crime that they've done many years ago to harm Joseph. Yeah, I think it's a question, isn't it? Have they changed on the inside as well as the outside? That you can choose quite, well, I would have thought you could choose not to steal and be like, yes, I'm a good person. But actually, when it's crunch time, has your heart changed? When you're in a desperate situation, have you changed your reaction to hardship, to to trouble. And so what is the brother's initial reaction to the first accusation? The first accusation, the steward rocks up, doesn't he, to them, because they've gone on their way back to Israel. And the steward catches up them, verse 7. And Joseph's already primed his steward to say, you know, why have you repaid good with evil? Like, it's interesting what they say in verse 7, isn't it? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. 
like this this huge declaration of their innocence, isn't there? We even brought you back silver last time when we found extra silver in our sacks. We brought it back to you. Um, why would we steal silver or gold? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. So this is like a huge proclamation of innocence. They know or they think that they're innocent uh, to the extent that they actually condemn themselves worse in a worse way than Joseph was going to. It was interesting that they were so convinced that they'd all be found innocent, that they say in verse nine, whoever has done it will die. That's how much they trust each other now. I trust these other brothers so much that I can confidently say not a single one of us would have done this. Um, And that is also mirrored by the distress that they feel when Benjamin has the cup found in his sack. You know, they tore their clothes in in, in it with anguish. Um, That being an outward sign of of an inner deep distress the last time one of the brothers was in in big trouble, you know, when when Joseph disappeared, it was only Joseph who tore his clothes then. This time, one of the brothers is in serious trouble and all the brothers are tearing their clothes. It's a very mm. different reaction to previous ones. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because it says far be it from your servants to do anything like that. But we know that they've done far worse. It's kind of a bit of dramatic irony there, isn't it? Yeah, but I th- I think we're supposed to see that alongside that, uh, all of them returning, you know, because in the past they'd have just abandoned Benjamin to it, wouldn't they? Like, well, off you go, Benjamin, you deal with that. You, you know, dad, dad loves you more anyway type of attitude. But you, it's a real sign, isn't it, there when they all return with him to Egypt that that, <clears throat> that sort of hating of the dearly loved son has begun to change in them. And so, yeah, I just think that's a that's the... A really encouraging thing that they want to protect him don't they they gather around him and they want to take the hit for for him can you imagine that moment when the cup was found uh verse 12 like the shock that they must have felt like I don't know if we get that from just reading it and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack but can you imagine the horror that would have struck especially Judah's heart um at the sight of that cup and then you've got Joseph waiting back in Egypt, knowing that he's tested his brothers in this way and wondering, like, how many of these brothers would come back? Would it just be Benjamin shackled behind a camel like he was? Or would it be all of them? You could just It's just the drama is just tangible, isn't it? The whole thing set up by the sort of happiness and delight at the end of chapter 43, where they're They've left in such high spirits. You know, they're treated well. They've got sacks full of grain. Simeon's out of prison. Benjamin's safe. Like, woohoo, let's go. And then yeah. something happens, which, and this is what I love, involving silver. I mean, Joseph could have chosen anything, but he chose silver, which is what he was sold for. Mm. You know, there's a silver cup in the sack and then bang. So the brother's on a massive high. And then brought down to such horrifying lows. Like as far as they're concerned, this is it. Like Judas, like my life is over. <laughs> Judas pronounced, hasn't he, Benjamin's death sentence? Because it's Judah that said, wherever this is found, that person will die. So Judas got that to deal with. And he's just overstepped massively. And it's now Benjamin. And he's, oh, yeah. I'm feeling- and yet he's still willing to step into that role. He's not like, off you go, Benjamin. Bye-bye. I'm going to go home and tell dad what happened. 
I was wondering what you guys made of this silver cup, by the way, of divination. Like, what's going on there? It's a bit odd, right? Anyone else have any other comments? Come on, Hermione. <laughs> I did actually do some reading around this. Um, what you do? Oh. Divination is not actually outlawed by God until later, so explicitly. So it's not mentioned until Deuteronomy, but they are not supposed to be doing it. However, reading around, most people think that Joseph probably didn't practice divination, but that it was, um, the point was to make out that the cup was extremely precious and it was a terrible Mm. crime to take it because the Egyptians were known for their divination practices. They were known that these things were super precious and the Hebrews, the Israelites would have known that. And so to have found a divination cup in the sack would have been a worse crime than if you'd found like a normal drinking goblet. Divination is like looking in water for things and shapes and things like that. A bit Harry Pottery. I yes. was thinking Harry Potter, yeah. Yeah, a bit to predict the future normally. Yeah, so. like you'd look at the way that the water swirled when you said certain words and that kind of thing. I can't remember which one of you said this, but, you know, the brothers could have left without Benjamin and explained to Jacob what happened. Um, and Joseph gives them another chance to do that because... In verse 17, he says, you don't all need to be servants. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. So it's like he's testing them even more. He's saying, you can go, go, go to your dad and leave Benjamin here. And just seeing what their, their response is. How does Judah respond? I think it's helpful to see what is, what's the purpose of Joseph's test. And we've said, haven't we, generally, he's testing to see if their hearts have changed. But I read something that really helped me nail the speech down when he said he's looking for two things. Do the brothers love Benjamin or do they hate him as Joseph's favourite, the way they hated Joseph? So has that changed? And also, has their love for their father changed? Because... They just grieved their father's heart again and again at the beginning of this narrative, didn't they? And so Joseph's looking at those two different things. Are they still grieving their father's heart and hating the dearly loved sons? Or has that changed? And I just think in this speech, you see so clearly Judah really cares that he doesn't break his dad's heart again. Um, And he's really moved with compassion to do anything in his power to protect his dad from another heartbreak. So I think, and and also that he's prepared to step in, isn't he, and be the substitute so that Benjamin doesn't need to. And so I just think those two things that have been, have caused Joseph so much pain for the last 20 years, this speech really helps him see that Judah and the brothers have changed and those heart attitudes have massively shifted because they're prepared to, stand in Benjamin's stead to both protect their dad and protect Benjamin. It's amazing the change that's happened considering what I think is the lack of change in Jacob in that time. Like I can't imagine how painful it must have been for Judah and his brothers to watch Jacob through the years just again and again and again choose Joseph in the beginning and then Benjamin over them. Like Benjamin's basically the only brother he seems to really care about. He's happy to leave Simeon in Egypt for however long that was. Some people think maybe a year before they go back for more grain. 
And I just think Judah's love and grace and respect for his dad that is evident in this speech is amazing considering the ongoing hurt that he must feel. I just think sometimes our love and grace and repentance need to come before somebody has actually changed themselves. Like your change needs to come before somebody else's. Um, Like the hard decision to love someone needs to happen before they've actually loved you well. Like that's really hard, isn't it? I I was thinking about that yesterday and I just thought he... He must have made his peace, mustn't he, Judah, with the fact that, um, the, you know, the mum of Joseph and Benjamin was the one that Jacob really loved. And, and actually, he'd, he's, he's made his peace with that. And so he understands that in his dad. And he's not trying to change it all the time, is he? He's understood that. And even though that's hard, he's, he's mm. stopped, I guess, allowing that hurt cycle to continue, hasn't he? For him to be able to respond like this. And he he mentions it, doesn't he, in verse 27. Then your servant, my father, so he's talking about Jacob here, said to us, the brothers, you know that my wife bore me two sons. Well, he says my wife, (laughs) but he had more than one wife. When he's talking about his wife, he's talking about Joseph and Benjamin's mum. He's not talking about Judah and Simeon and all the rest of them's mum. So they're not even, he's not even talking about Leah. He's not even referring to her as his wife. And then he says, um, you know, my wife bore me two sons. No, you have 12 sons. (laughs) Actually, all he cares about is the two. And, you know, it's incredible, isn't it, that Judah references this in this really impassioned speech without making reference to the bitterness that that must have caused him for most of his life. He's obviously gracious and loving to the extent that he will stay in Egypt himself, if necessary, so that Benjamin can go back to his dad, who loves him more than he loves Judah. Like, wow. You know, we talked last week, didn't we, about how Judah ends up being, you know, it's his line that leads to Jesus. Um, And I just think it's beautiful, like the, the substitution that he offers is, you know, is worthy of that. You know, he's worthy of that line. I know, you know, people aren't aren't always judged on their worthiness to be in Jesus's line, but you can kind of see why God chose Judah's line to lead to Jesus. I really love this speech because I think it's the first time that the brothers sort of publicly acknowledge their guilt. In this speech that Judah gives, it says, God has, he says in verse 16, God has found out the guilt of your servants. As in, our guilt is not the silver cup. Our guilt is what happened with Joseph back in the day. And God has found us out. Like this is the first public declaration of we did something awful in the past. And this is why this is happening. This is not about the silver cup. And I just think it's such a, it's such a reflection of us I think often when we're thinking about our sin you know we let it brew inside ourselves don't we we sit there and we mull on it and it eats at us and then maybe we'll share it with maybe one other person or one other person spots it in us and we try and keep it quiet but it keeps brewing and it keeps bubbling and it keeps affecting us until eventually finally we make that public declaration be it to God and other people or whatever but you know we make that public 
declaration. We say that sin out loud. Father God, I'm so sorry I have sinned by doing this. It's it's such a, I think it's a beautiful moment because it's the start of proper restoration. It's so helpful though, isn't it? How clever this whole passage is that his, their sins are, are our sins, aren't they? In that we need to stop grieving the father and start loving the son. Just, you know, just as that's changed in their hearts, that's the, the problem with our hearts, isn't it? That we don't love the father well and we grieve Jesus. And I just thought that's so, yeah, brilliant and helpful for us as well, because those are our root issues, just like they were the brother's issues. One of the things that struck me in Judah's heart change and what needs to happen in my heart every day is it's not about Judah anymore, is it? You know, he's he's not there fighting for his rights and his importance. He's prepared to lay himself down for his dad, basically, and for Benjamin. And I just think that's the call of the Christian life, isn't it, for us to sort of to win to every day fight that fight of like this is not about you Jill Jump um and it's such a great speech isn't it because you see the way that's worked out in Judah's life and that he's prepared to um do whatever it takes to um please the father and honor Benjamin but I think that comes from a recognition of acknowledging that God is the one holding them to account you know, this is what God wants for us. It's not just a, I love my dad, I love my brother, and therefore I'm going to find the inner strength to do this. It's a first he recognizes and acknowledges God has found us out. God is the one disciplining us. God is the one in control. I recognize now what I need to change in my heart, what needs to change in my heart. Let me allow that change that's happened in my heart to change what I'm doing on the outside. Yeah. But that recognition of God comes first and then the heart change the true heart change yeah and as well culturally there's there's something there isn't there about the right thing to do before god is to honor your father even if he makes really poor choices and so i think those things are closely linked together aren't they in that's part of what um honoring god i know we've not had the ten commandments yet which is hard but that's part of what it means to honor god isn't it yeah we've touched on this already but that word guilt um it's also seen elsewhere and um sometimes it's translated as um iniquity um which is yeah i guess it it's not just the deeds that they've done but it's the condition of their hearts isn't it it's like a it's a very deep word saying that our heart condition is broken and what they've done has come out of that what they did to Joseph came out of that and what they could do again if they chose to leave Benjamin could come out of that but here they've obviously changed totally changed um and they care much more about what God thinks about their hearts it kind of reminded me of stuff probably that people that I know or people that you know have said about sin like okay I am a generally good person but you know I don't murder people I don't do this um but actually yeah you're right Julia sin is is a position that we're in like it's it's a state of broken relationship with God isn't it and so it's 
is not necessarily, you know, here, these guys might not have stolen the cup, but they, you know, there's a whole ton of other stuff like deceit and uh, murderous intent and all of that. And really, yeah, it's that change that needs to happen, doesn't it? This change of status before God from sinner to righteous um, that needs to happen. And I think it's it's really hard to explain that to people um, it's not just, you know, sin is is doing things, you know, is but it's actually an outward action of an inward heart problem. Um, and that's what needs to change. And I guess like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, sin's pervasive, isn't it? And so it cha- we, we're blinded by it and we can't see clearly. And that's been the brother's state for all these years. And suddenly God's changing their hearts so that they can actually own their guilt and see it and want to change and yeah that's another of sin's consequences isn't it in our lives that it it changes our perceptions so we don't see clearly yeah I found that interesting the language that Joseph uses in verse 17 he says only Benjamin needs to stay the rest of you the rest of you go back to your father in peace and I was like that's so interesting isn't it because Joseph knows that if they go back to their father and don't take Benjamin you know and maybe in some way lie about you know again have to deceive or again have to you know not come into the open about what they did to Joseph or anything like that like they're not going to be living at peace like living with your sin and living with an unchanged heart is not a peaceful place to be it's a place of strife and he knows that and he gives them this chance to you know get away with it again Um, And they don't take it. I feel like we're left on such a cliffhanger, even though we know what's going to come. Yeah, (laughs) it's like when you watch a series and I don't know, TV drama and you're like, I want to skip to the next chapter (laughs) to find them reconciled. But don't spoil the ending, Juliet. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to tune in to next week's episode for that. So um, on that note, uh, thank you for joining us this week. Bye. Bye. Bye.